Hello, and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a podcast about the latest new episodes of Star Trek. Today, we're looking at the season premiere of Star Trek Picard, entitled The Stargazer. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Rodney Cup, and I'm the philosophy professor. And I'm Michael Merrick, the media professor. You can find our announcements about new episodes and other content by following us on Twitter at Trek underscore Academy. And to subscribe your app to the podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. You can either subscribe right there or find links to us on other podcasting sites. And Rodney, we want to remind our listeners that starting this week for three weeks, we have two, count them, two new Star Trek episodes a week, both Discovery and Picard. But you and I are not able to do uh, podcast episodes about both of them on the same day. And we did decide to keep them separate, not try to merge them together in a single podcast. So today we have our Picard podcast. And then probably tomorrow we'll look at Discovery episode 12, which is the penultimate episode of season four. That means next to last. Right. But to get things started, we'll have a brief plot outline of The Stargazer. It includes some spoilers. And with that summary, here is Professor Rodney Cup. Okay, well, as this episode begins, it's at least a year and a half since the events of season one, and Admiral Picard is Chancellor of Starfleet Academy, but the winery is as busy as ever. We see Picard and Laris wrapping up the winemaking season at Chateau Picard. Rios is captain of the Stargazer, of all ships. Commander Musiker is serving aboard the Excelsior, as is Cadet Elnor. Seven of Nine is still helping people as a member of the Fenris Rangers, only now she's flying La Serena. And finally, Soji and Girati are representing synthetic life forms on a diplomatic tour of the galaxy. All seems well, but not only have Girati and Rios split up, Seven and Musiker aren't seeing much of each other either, and Picard senses there's one frontier he has yet to explore, his own heart. Why has Picard chosen to be alone? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that when Picard was a child, his parents fought and it seems his father was abusive. When Laris reveals her true feelings to him, which we suspect Picard shares, he is unable to reciprocate. And during a visit to the 10 Forward Avenue Historic District in LA, Guinan tells him it is not too late to love someone. But then the fleet admiral sends him to a spatial anomaly emitting temporal radiation because it also broadcasted a plea to Picard himself for help in joining the Federation. What? So Picard travels to the Stargazer which is at the anomaly. Gerardi and Seven of Nine are also aboard. And when Picard responds to the message, a gigantic Borg ship emerges from the anomaly and Starfleet sends an armada to meet it, including the Excelsior. So the Stargazer is boarded by a Borg queen who tries to single-handedly assimilate the ship and the armada as well. And Picard initiates the self-destruct sequence. But after the ship explodes, Picard finds himself back at the chateau, but it's not the one he left. 
And instead of Laris, he is greeted by Q, who reminds him that the trial never ends and welcomes him to the end of the road not taken. And that's the episode. And thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, before we talk about the philosophy, the themes, and the morals to this story, there are a few things about the episode we'd like to touch on first. And we're going to try to avoid the Easter eggs that so many articles have already talked about, mostly, at least. (laughs) Michael? You know, Rodney, anytime a series has a reunion or jumps ahead in time or has a revival of some sort, it's always interesting to see how the characters are different and what they're doing. I had imagined that the La Serena crew from last season would stay together and Picard would maybe be like some sort of roving ambassador using, using that ship. But instead, they've each more or less gone their own ways. And so this is a bit of a, what they call a getting the band back together story. Mm-hmm. Yep. The wine cases at the vineyard make clear that the year is now 2401. Mm-hmm. The previous season was set in 2399. And the harvest time implies the fall of 2401. Elnor is a cadet at the academy. He hasn't had time to graduate. So I assume the assignment we see of uh, sending him to the Excelsior, maybe a training cruise or mm-hmm. something like that. Soji says she's been touring the galaxy for over a year since the Federation ban on synths ended. So that, I mean, the, the, a little bit of conflicting you in your summary, you said a year and a half. It's at least a year based on what Soji said, kind of hard telling, but at least there is a significant gap here. A lot has happened and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that here and there later on. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out about this episode at the beginning, Picard tells uh, Laris that the part of him that wants a relationship has to wait in line behind duty. And when I saw this, this reminded me of a very old episode of Star Trek going all the way back to season one of the original series, we see Kirk has a similar conundrum in The Naked Time. That episode, Kirk laments the fact that he's not allowed to notice Yeoman Janice Rand because his first duty is to the Enterprise. I'm sure we all remember that. And also in, uh, in the original series, in the episode, This Side of Paradise, Remember, everybody else has been infected by these spores that just make them happy, but mm-hmm. it's Kirk's duty. You might also say relationship with the <laughs> Enterprise that broke the hold of the spores. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking of Soji, and I haven't seen this in any of the other uh, articles, the, the two circles that she was wearing on a necklace last season, she's wearing them like as a lapel pin this season, this year. When she said that we have been touring, yes, she was apparently referring to herself and Agnes, but then Agnes, like at the request from Rios concerning this anomaly, agrees to go up on the stargazer and and help out. The implication from that scene with Soji was that, I mean, the other people she was sitting with were mostly bald. And she mentioned Deltans, so they weren't on the planet Delta Four, but it mm. seems like maybe they were Deltan-like Ilea in the motion picture. As you noted, Picard is Chancellor of Starfleet Academy, whatever that means, but he's obviously commuting from France to the Academy. It may be a semi-honorary title. Patrick Stewart was named Chancellor 
at the University of Huddersfield in the United Kingdom. Now he's an emeritus chancellor, but that was essentially a ceremonial title, not really a management title. Picard, when we see him speaking to a large group, is I assume speaking at the end of a term, assembly at the end of a term, or or at least a ceremony before sending the cadets off on their uh, starship assignments. Yeah, that's that's how it seemed to me, too. His final words to the group, let's see what's out there. You remember were also his final words in the Next Generation premiere, Encounter at Farpoint. Actually, right. he said, let's see what's out there, engage. But, you know... Picard notes he wants to update the Kobayashi Maru test, which doesn't exactly sound like an honorary position project. We know from Star Trek Protostar that Kobayashi Maru recently, well, 18 or 20 years ago at least, has been set on the Enterprise D. And, it, you know, that might be a, a special project for someone who's in a mostly honorary position. The Starfleet Academy leadership titles we've heard in the past are commandant and I think superintendent. Hmm. So chancellor is apparently something a little bit different. I don't think I've heard it before. By the way, this is the third series this year that has mentioned the Kobayashi Maru. Maybe they should give it a rest. (laughs) Could be. Speaking of Kobayashi Maru, Picard gives Elnor a book written by Spock. And if you freeze frame and look carefully, the name of the book is The Many and the one. And it's described as a memoir of the challenges that Spock faced as one of the first Vulcan cadets at Starfleet Academy. And that raises a very old question in Star Trek fandom. If Spock attended the Academy, why did he never take the Kobayashi Maru test, which we find out in the Wrath of Khan? I've previously myself speculated maybe he joined Starfleet by a different route, like his adoptive sister Michael did. But Spock attending the Academy in this timeline is now an on-screen fact. And please don't get me started about the JJ-verse timeline. I'm talking about this timeline. Right. When it comes to the Borg, remember that Voyager in, in the Voyager season finale destroyed one of the Borg Unimatrixes. I suppose I should say Unimatrices, if I'm going (laughs) to use the Latin terminology. These are the huge Borg space stations. And there was an implication, at least, that that explosion might have followed transwarp corridors and destroyed all of them. There were were a certain number of Borg Unimatrices, if not destroying them, at least damaging or degrading or destroying the connectivity among the Borg ships. And I I imagine they didn't really say it, but this may have at least contributed to the collapse of the collective in the Borg Cube last season. But it was interesting to hear Seven and the others discuss this and the status of the Borg. The Borg coming out of the anomaly actually asked to join the Federation and why they would do that, but then turned around and started taking control of all the starships really isn't clear. Yeah, I've got a few thoughts about that, but um, the anomaly I wanted to mention is green in color. Oh, yes. And I I think that was a a good choice. Uh, You kind of expected the board to come out of it because I think last season we were trained to associate green with the Borg, weren't we? And the green has been a color of all of the sets on Borg ships and things like that for almost, almost since the beginning. Yes, it is the color of the Borg. In terms of storytelling in this episode, the opening scene 
is essentially a preview of key events later in the episode. Although there were some events in this preview that we didn't see later in the episode when the sequence repeated. This is a literary technique that's almost as old as written fiction called ins medius res, which essentially means starting in the middle, medius means the middle. You start at an important point in the middle of the story and then you go back and fill in the previous events before getting to that point, retelling it and continuing forward. We see this moderately often. It's not unusual in Star Trek and lots of other series to see something important happen. And then the thing that comes up and says 48 hours earlier or one week earlier. So why do you think they did that here? I mean, that's, that's a question oh, I, I guess we could ask. I think they did it to start with a bang. To, you know, start with a really high energy sequence and, you know, there are people running all over and they're firing phasers and all kinds of stuff yeah. and explosions. So they started with a bang, then went back to a more quiet beginning after the opening credits and eventually built up where they retold the bang and then continued to the end of the episode. The word that occurred to me at, at the, the beginning of this episode was idyllic. Everything seems... Almost everything seems well. Picard looks happy. And I suppose after, after the opening credits, after that, after the battle scene. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the regular cast members are doing fine with their current projects. They're happy. You're right. Maybe that wouldn't be enough to grip the viewer. So we begin in media stress, right? Yeah. I think, like I said, I think start with a bang, start yeah. with so something good, high energy, and then go back and, and fill in. I would note that the opening credits are different this season. And actually I timed them. They're about 20 seconds longer than last season. It's almost two minutes long. And that's really long for TV credits today. Yep. You know, even in original series and next generation, I think they were typically about a minute, but there are a lot of things that are different. There are some things that are the same. That shard of glass we saw last season that kind of flowed through all of the scenes, it's still there. But now we know that it is a shard from a glass. I'm not sure if it was a gazebo or a sunroom or a greenhouse that was attached to Chateau Picard in Jean-Luc's youth. The credits also have the Borg ship and several other elements we haven't seen before. And the opening and closing credits, the music for them, is considerably more dramatic than last season. And uh, something I noticed about that main title, uh, Jeff Russo, it appears created a mashup of last season's main title and the end title. And to me, it sounds like a mess. I don't know how it sounded to you, Michael, but I don't know. Maybe it'll click with me later this season. The, the different parts of it didn't mesh together well. Remember at, at the end, I don't remember which Discovery season it was, he... Um, merged together, I think, the Discovery theme and the original series theme. And it worked beautifully. It fit together really well. This was a little bit more glaring. Yeah. But maybe maybe that's the intent because time travel to try to, to repair totalitarian government is a glaring kind of thing. So mm -hmm. maybe, maybe that was intentional. As long as we're speaking of music, I also have to admit that the classic hits in the soundtrack of the episode were a bit jarring for me because I think they're out of place for the year 2401. But mm. what can I say? Mm -hmm. I'm sure they appeal to a, a section of the audience demographic. 
A few other things I noticed, we get a nice aerial view of Starfleet headquarters and Starfleet Academy, but there is no giant tree there, which has been there since Boothby planted it. And remember, we saw it in Discovery. Even though the camera views are similar, I compared them back and forth, it would have been a nice bit of continuity to include that tree, which we saw in Discovery Season 3. Yeah, given what we've seen them do with Star Trek here, it's kind of weird that it's not there, don't you think? I, I really think it was a similar view because the Golden Gate Bridge was framed on the left side of the screen in both cases. and. Yep. And I mean, the buildings are all completely different, which is not surprising after hundreds of years, but uh, you'd think the tree would be there. There's a quick reference, uh, but the anomaly uh, we're seeing is said to be emitting temporal radiation before the Borg ship comes through. And I assume that that is relevant since we know time travel is going to be involved. I'm guessing that the Borg come from some other time maybe a parallel timeline, maybe the future, possibly the past. The closed captioning, when the Borg voice spoke, when it talked to Picard, the closed captioning said the voice was Legion. It usually says who the speaker is, but says Legion. That name wasn't said out loud in the episode, but it suggests a future appearance of something that will be called Legion. Maybe that's... That's the name of the new voice of the Borg. I don't know. You know, the Borg sometimes do have spokespeople. That's why they assimilated Picard in the first right. place in the best of both worlds. And maybe we will learn that the spokes entity is now known as Legion. Again, a couple of other notes. In the past, auto-destruct has always taken two officers, such as a captain and a first officer. But this time, Picard did it on his own. So I don't know, maybe right. rank hath its privileges, I guess. I think we should just say, you know, admirals can make mistakes. So not very smart Starfleet. Yeah. And then finally, when Picard was in his own body, even though all of the Borg stuff was supposedly removed, he could still hear them. We heard that in, in the movie First Contact. And even apparently last season when he was on the Borg ship, he was hearing mm -hmm. echoes of voices. Now, in his android body, he's not hearing the Borg. He has to ask Seven to confirm that it sure looks like a Borg ship. Interesting. Yeah. Well, but he's still alive, so there's that. Anyway, why don't we go ahead and switch gears here and turn our attention to any meanings or messages or morals in this episode? As in several of the current Star Trek series, this episode begins a story arc. 10 episodes long, including this one. So I think it's a little early for there to be significant lessons to be learned, but there are, there are some things to talk about here. Themes, at least, if not lessons. I, I think they've left a few hints about where, where they may be going. Yeah, I think, I think so. We're, we're setting them up. The themes, I think, will eventually translate into lessons. The reflection on why Picard has chosen to be alone is not just a momentary thing. You, it comes up more than once. Yeah. Choosing to be alone, or at least only to have relationships that are fairly certain to be short-term, I, I think that's significant character development, and I think it's going to play an important role going forward and as, as a theme. And, I mean, we know, we know Janice Mannheim, Vosh, Nella Darren, Philippa Lavoie, Marta 
Batonides, Kamala, Anish of the Baku, and of course, Beverly Crusher had his romantic mm-hmm. interest at one point or another. And, and so we have seen several of these that he apparently felt pretty seriously about, but they were all short-term. That's sort of the first issue that we're presented with in this episode is Picard's choice to be alone. And in this episode, um, Soji tells the Deltons, true connection can only be forged when the heart has spoken. And I thought maybe that related to Picard's um, (laughs) inner journey here. Picard's heart has never spoken, perhaps because it's always had to wait in line behind duty or so he says. So doesn't this imply that Picard has never had a true connection? It's kind of sad. That could be. At, at least he made it wait behind duty. And I think it was that his there, choice. I think that that, like I said, we'll find out more about this. Maybe a connection to his parents. We'll find out more. You could argue that he at least had a psychologically intimate relationship with the Borg and the Borg Queen herself. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, good point. And I think that may be part of one element of where they're going with this plot thread. We do learn that uh, Shaban died a year and a half ago. And we learned that in the Romulan culture, his love is honored by Laris loving deeply again. And of course, Picard has caught her eye. And when they're about to kiss, he does pull back from her. And it underscores this decision we've been talking about, conscious or unconscious, of him wanting to be alone. And he makes the point, not alone in terms of friendships, but alone in terms of deeper relationships. Right. And it's not just him, right? So, I mean, in the first season of Picard, we had a bunch of main characters who were all broken in some way or another. And this season, I think they're doing much better. I mean, you know, Rios is captain of a starship. Musiker is back in Starfleet. So their personal problems now are concerning their connections with each other right? Or with others. And I, I predict maybe that connection will be a theme this season as it has been in the current season of discovery. Yes, indeed. The name of the episode, the stargazer at first seems to be a reference to the starship stargazer, but the, the episode title is written at stargazer is written as two words, star gazer. And that echoes something we see Picard's mother tell him about looking up to the stars. Yeah, so the title appears to refer both to the ship, I would say, and to Picard. Yeah, obviously a, a double meaning there. And the idea of the original Stargazer, as far as we know, being Picard's first command, certainly signaled to the writers that we could have this, this dual meaning. Mm-hmm. Last season of Picard, we did note that Picard was not very good at interpersonal relationships. He often misjudged what the reaction would be to something he said or did. And him leaving Chateau Picard to go on this anomaly mission without a word to Laris means he still hasn't learned his lesson. No, um, he has not. And by the way, there were in, in the scene we saw Picard's memory of his mother, there were chaotic scenes there. And, and so there was a suggestion, at least, of domestic violence as the reason Picard has not formed a lasting romantic relationship. Yeah, it seems that way to me, Michael. And and I'm sure as many fans know, Patrick Stewart's father was abusive. And I suspect that Stewart himself wanted to say something about domestic violence 
in Picard this season. Yeah, but I suspect it's going to get more complicated. There's one scene of his mother on the floor being quick pulled away backwards, like you'd see in a, in a supernatural show. And I'm not sure I imagine a guy doing that. So I'm, I'm wondering if there are also going to be questions about whether Picard's childhood memories are accurate, even though what he does remember, right or wrong, has affected him deeply. We'll, we'll see. I mean, there, there are lots of seeds planted there, and we will see how they are developed. Uh, Guinan tells Picard that time rarely offers second chances, but that's apparently what the whole season is about, a second chance to fix a broken timeline. And yeah. I'm wondering if several of the characters are going to get the opportunity for second chances. For example, I'm wondering if by the end of the season, maybe Picard and Laris are together when all is said and done. I'm rooting for that. And maybe they want to say something more here about time itself. I mean, there were a lot of references to time in this episode. And I'll just give you a list of the ones I noticed. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, the song Time is on My Side is playing at Chateau Picard. When uh, we get the Romulan admonition, seize today for we know nothing of tomorrow. And we have Picard's statement in his address at Starfleet Academy that the final frontier is time. And we have Guinan telling Picard that in matters of the heart, time is not the issue, right? Picard is. Yeah. Then we get the temporal radiation emitted by the anomaly. Likely we're dealing with time travelers here. And then we have the Borg declaring that there is no more time. We will begin negotiation with Picard alone. So all of this suggests perhaps that there's more to this than just merely parts of a time travel story arc, that maybe there's something more to this. I think that they have been pulling in, if time is a theme, uh, they've been pulling in everything they could think of that would, <laughs> that would underscore that. There are lots of things in this episode that specifically Picard make connections between his present and past. There are the starship yeah. names, all of them familiar, Picard's memories, questions about his relationship, Guinan's reflections, even uh, her bar number being 10 in the Forward Avenue historical yeah. district. Uh, the producers are clearly things that make these connections between the past and the present for Picard. And that's given that the story of this season is shaping up to be about how the past affects our present. And it's interesting, in a way, they're doing the same thing in this week's Discovery episode, Rosetta. We find messages about how our past experiences, good and bad, right. make us what we are today. And we'll talk about that more in our next podcast episode, probably tomorrow, about this week's Discovery episode. But yeah, lots of things that signal time and almost every reference I think they could think of was thrown into this episode to signal time travel, differences mm -hmm. of time and all that. Yeah. So yeah, at this point, we're getting hints about future themes for this season, but it's a little early to say that they're well-defined at all. So maybe now we should shift to our final thoughts about this particular episode, which I thought was a good one. I, I did too. If we had not seen any of the previews or trailers, I think this episode would be pretty confusing. We do know, however, that the season is an alternate timeline and time travel story. 
and so it appears that what we're seeing in this episode is the setup for that and right. set up for multiple different subplots. At the end, Picard is in an alternate timeline, which we anticipate from these spoilers, from these advanced uh, tidbits we've gotten, will be a bad timeline. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, something I thought about here in the teaser at the end of the episode I'm sure viewers noticed that Picard refers to their new reality as a, quote, totalitarian nightmare. So I wonder if we're going to get this series version of season one of Discovery, viewers might recall, that mirror universe story arc and the take it had on totalitarianism and xenophobia. And if it is, we should expect that the principles of the Federation will ultimately prevail, as they did in Discovery. Yeah, knowing that there will be a totalitarian regime in this alternate timeline suggests to me that authoritarian tendencies in the world today were part of the inspiration for this season's storyline. And particularly, we would note that we're recording this during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It is not surprising this is a theme we see, we have seen more than once in, in modern Star Trek. The darkness we're talking about, we mentioned the theme music earlier, and I think that right. the, the theme music, I, I sort of said this earlier, but was very much intended to underscore this darkness. It reminded me of the alternate theme music used in the Star Trek Enterprise two-part Mirror Universe story. They did alternate opening credits that were Mirror Universe Earth Empire credits and much more military sounding, much just heavier and, and foreboding. I, again, I think that even the theme music is underscoring the, the mood that they are working to establish. And let me just say this. I know some fans don't like how dark recent iterations of Star Trek have, have been, but let, let's just remind our, our listeners and anyone that these series are uh, serial in nature. They're not episodic. And while some of these episodes are dark, <laughs> you can't make the inference that Star Trek itself is dark or that the series are dark. And I, I fully expect that this season, though it will have its darkness, will end on a brighter note. Yeah, the question is the moral to the story. And in episodic Star Trek, you get the moral to the story at the end of the episode. In story right. arc Star Trek, where the story arc is the primary story, and yes, there are character arcs that are that are the B-plot and things, but where the character arc is the primary story, there may be lessons along the way, but you wait till the end to, for the real powerful message. The first season of Discovery did that. I mean, we had war with the Klingons and the Mirror <laughs> Universe, yep. but the final episode, the speech that Michael Burnham made about Federation values, that was the resolution of the story. And that was very Star Trek in its, in its field. So I suspect- Very hopeful. I suspect one way or the other that we will get to that point after another nine episodes or so. <laughs> the whole Borg Queen thing is still confusing, and, and it's intentionally so, but the Borg sure. says that they want peace, indicating that they want to join the Federation. But first, they require power, she says, and that's when she starts assimilating the Stargazers' systems uh, in a way that would propagate to a bunch of other Starfleet ships that have arrived to help. 
I don't think she's talking power as energy, as electricity, that kind of power. I think she's talking firepower and what Seven called a Borg Armada. But we don't know why yet. Uh, and, and again, it's intentional that we don't. There are a lot of things we don't know that we'll find out over time. I mean, do you think that there's a there, you know, being attacked by something on the other side of that anomaly and they need <laughs> some Starfleet ships to help out? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, is she from the future? Is she planning to go back in time? Is she the one that's going to change the past? Why would the Borg care? One reason they might care is stopping Starfleet from being created to prevent Voyager from destroying the Borg. Unimatrix is in connection, but Star Trek's already done that. That's, yeah, it's not the Borg, but that's essentially this season's prodigy storyline. And we've already had a movie in which the Borg go back in time to try to keep the Federation from being formed. So I hope that's not what the scenario is, but. It, it, too. It, we're intended to not understand yet what the role of the Borg is here and what the Borg want to accomplish. Yeah, part of the fun is finding that out. And uh, something I was thinking of, I mean, if, if they were to prevent the creation of Starfleet, I mean, that would leave them without a lot of culture and technology to assimilate. In a way, it's, it's kind of self-defeating to their project. And I just wonder if, I, I mean, is it possible that the Borg has just accepted defeat? And they see the Federation and membership in it as their best path forward. I mean, I'm, I'm speculating here, but what if the Borg isn't really trying to assimilate this armada, but they just don't know how to make connections with other species in, in the usual way? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, you know, but I agree that what the Borg Queen does here, it looks really, really bad. And I mean, another mystery is what is, does Q have anything to do with this? Is he related in this in some way? And if so, how? The last time we saw Q in Voyager, he had largely reformed his ways. I still like to think, and I, we'll probably find out next week, but I still like to think that the timeline changed maybe for some reason and in his way he's being helpful. We'll, we'll have to find out. I mean, he's he's still kind of snarky as usual, but uh, we'll sure. see if he is helpful or if he's just a troublemaker this time around. I hope it's not just he's a troublemaker. I hope there's something uh, richer about his role. By the way, the reference to the assimilating all the ships did not come from the Queen. It came from other people talking about it. She was transferring control and maybe it's the same thing, maybe it's not, but she was not assimilating the crews of the ships. In fact, she was using stun when That's she right. shot the people on the bridge. She was not yeah. using killer shots. And so, again, we have to see, but it does appear that her social skills <laughs> could be better. And could we go back to Q for just a minute? Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, as, as annoying and dangerous as Q can be, I'm just thinking about a lot of the encounters Picard was ha has had with him, where he was in a way trying to help them, you know, I mean, all the way back to the beginning, when he introduced Starfleet to the Borg, it, it was kind of a warning, you know, to them that they had grown compl complacent and that space is very, very dangerous. I'm thinking about the time when Q taught Picard that he shouldn't regret certain events in his past. Like being impelled by Nausicans and needing a that, new heart. Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
so my, my reflection here is just that, again, as annoying and as dangerous as he can be, he seems as if he's trying to help human beings. In his way. We'll see. I, like I said, yeah. I, I suspect that by the end of next week's episode, we'll have a better idea of what his role is. Many fans have noticed from the previews that Picard and company are going to end up in the year 2024 or two years in the future as we record this. That is also the year where Cisco, Jadzia, and Bashir, and eventually Kira and O'Brien end up for a couple mm. of episodes of Deep Space Nine. So two years from now, 2024 is the year of the Sanctuary District riots in every major American city. And you remember Cisco ended up impersonating the very famous Gabriel Bell to negotiate peace. It's unlikely that this is an accident that the producers chose 2024 as Picard's destination. I agree. I think it was intentional. Technically, it would be possible for the two groups of time travelers to meet. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, for one thing, the ages of the Deep Space Nine actors, you know, they've moved on in their lives and you can't make them look the same as they did in those, in those episodes. Although they did make Q young for a few seconds. So I don't think we're going to see the Deep Space Nine actors directly. I do wonder if we might see some Easter eggs related to the Sanctuary Riots and those Deep Space Nine events, uh, or even that the riots might become part of the backstory of at least some of the episodes coming up. So like I said, it's not an accident that they ended up in 2024, but we'll see how, if, and if so, how, the things we already know about 2024 are incorporated into this story. A lot of questions remaining intentionally. They don't give away the plot from the beginning. They set up the major and the sub-story arcs and uh, leave us to be intrigued and therefore encouraged to come back next time. Absolutely. That's, that's part of the fun. So, and I look forward to talking with you about it, Michael, and entertaining our listeners. And so our listeners know these are a busy few weeks for us because we do invest a significant amount of time in preparing what we're going to talk about. And we have two, we have Picard and Discovery for three weeks in a row that is taking even more time than usual. It does help a little bit that we're at spring break time in the academic calendar, but uh, still we're busy here and uh, we're lucky that we don't have overlaps for longer. I think we can tough it out for three weeks, but we're lucky that we don't have overlapping series longer from the perspective of doing our podcast. That's I'm right. I'm sure the fans would love to have more than one Star Trek series simultaneously. And I wouldn't object to that other than the workload of the podcast. That's right. Well, we're going to do our best. We are. And yeah. And, uh, but that brings us to a close for this week, I think. And we'd like to thank you for joining us next time, probably tomorrow. We're going to talk about Discovery episode 12. And we'll do two podcast episodes a week for the next two weeks, as we've just mentioned. We invite you to keep track of our new episodes and the other announcements on our Twitter feed at Trek underscore Academy, or subscribe directly at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. We thank you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.